Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today is Friday, October 11, 2019. I'm broadcasting live from the Potter's House in Denver, where I will be hosting a school choice is the Black Choice Town Hall later this evening. We'll be live streaming right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. But on today's show, a mistrial declared in the hate crime case against former police chief Frank Nuchera. He's out of, out of, out of uh, New Jersey. Prosecutors say they're going to retry him on these hate crime charges. Prince's estate calls out Donald Trump saying, don't you dare play Purple Rain or any other music. He did so at his rally last night in Minneapolis. We'll tell you all about it. As of the second quarter of 2019, black home ownership is at the lowest rate it has been in 50 years. We'll talk to a leading black real estate organization about what we can do about this. A conference featuring Bishop T.D. Jakes uh, this weekend in Baltimore is trying to change the narrative in that city. We'll talk to the pastor of the church who is hosting Bishop Jakes. A black coach is fired for encouraging his team to use the N-word in New Orleans. He no longer has a job. And the Nobel Peace Prize is awarded to the Ethiopian prime minister. We'll share you all those details. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. 
Folks, Roland Martin here broadcasting live from the Potter's House in Denver. We'll be hosting a school choice in the Black Choice Town Hall later today. But let's get right to today's show. Uh, in New Jersey, a jury has declared a mistrial in the uh, hate crimes trial of a former New Jersey police chief, Frank Nucera, who was accused of assaulting a handcuffed black teen because of intense racial animus. That jury deadlocked on federal hate crime assault and civil rights deprivation charges. Now, the same jury convicted him of lying to the FBI about the case, but declared the mistrial on the most serious charges. Federal prosecutors said Nucera was motivated by racial hatred when he slammed the teen's head into a door jam during a 2016 arrest at a Borton Town Hotel. He pleaded not guilty and retired in 2017 during the FBI investigation. The jury, which has nine white people and three African-Americans, deliberated more than 45 hours over the course of eight days. Let's discuss this with our panel. Dr. Nyambe Carter, the Department of Political Science, Howard University. Dr. Cleo Monago, political analyst, Kelly, and also Kelly Bethea, communications strategist. All right, folks, uh, first and foremost, Cleo, I want to go to you. Uh, it's very interesting. The jury convicts him, okay, on lying to the FBI, but how do you not convict him, again, on the federal hate crime charges when this guy made a comment that Trump is a last resort to save white people? Uh, I mean, he has racial animus against African Americans, and it was abundantly clear how this guy, this guy was recorded by his own officers. Well, all I can do is use conjecture. I imagine that the white people who are on the juror are apprehensive to give this guy a charge that has race relation to it because they want to act like that's not an issue in this country. I think you know about the denial issue we have in this country regarding the problem of white supremacy. But the other charge that he did get away with doesn't have a racial context, so I think they preferred to give him something so he wouldn't look particularly bad. So they allowed him to get that, but didn't give him the issue that was the worst thing because that might, that might disturb a precedent of people getting away with racist behavior while in a uniform. So that's my analysis of that situation. Uh, Dr. Carter, bottom line here is you have a former law enforcement official who clearly lied to the FBI, racial animus, uh, how he mistreated this black teen. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it's one of those cases where nine white folks on the jury, three African-Americans, where well, these juries are just unwilling mm -hmm. uh, to call out these officers. I reminded the case in uh, Connecticut mm -hmm. uh, where a black man was kneeling, going down, or to kneel, was going down to the ground, uh, had his hands up, and the guy kicks him in the head, knocks him unconscious, and the jury found that cop, and it was on video, the yeah. jury found that cop to be not guilty. Well, I mean, I think this is a pattern of behavior, and I agree with Cleo to the extent that this jury thought that he did something wrong. They didn't want to actually find him guilty of the worst part of this, which is doing this because the, the alleged perpetrator was a black teen. I think this pattern of sort of papering over what police officers do in the line of duty is, is, a, is a difficult one, but it's one that juries seem unwilling to disrupt. I mean, this pattern of going after the most vulnerable, the weakest, and those who are most easily singled out, I mean, I think it's something we've seen, whether it was Connecticut or New Jersey, Maryland, Pennsylvania. We see this as a nationwide epidemic. And I think until cops um, and others like them start
start to face real consequences, um, this kind of stuff will continue, in part because there's nothing that is really going to change this behavior unless there are real penalties. This guy got a chance to retire, and I'm assuming he's retired with full benefits, so that means his pension is untouched. All the sort of benefits that come from him being a police officer that gave him the cover to abuse his power, to harm the public and harm this young man in particular, and we don't know how many other people are out here who have faced this officer at some point in their career or, or in their lives um, who've been <clears throat> similarly mishandled. I mean, I think until we start sending a real message that this is going to have a real consequence, we'll continue to see this. And I think the hate crimes enhancement is oftentimes one of those things left on the table because jurors are just reluctant to believe that somebody with racist intent is working on a police force and using that to drive their decisions about law enforcement. But the data would suggest that it's probably more common than we appreciate. I don't think jurors care about how common it is or is not. They do not want to find a white officer for hurting somebody black. Well, I mean, I think... But I think the, the, the idea of, and I think it's part of the language we use, we always say these cops are a bad apple. They're not usual, they're unusual. And I think even in this cop's case, they would say, well, he was just this one guy. This is not about sort of the crime or what the alleged crime was or what the initial or precipitating incident was. This thing happened, police officers were called, and this guy may have been overzealous. But it's not a part of a larger behavior. So I, I would disagree that jurors don't care. I just don't think that for many, white jurors, and we don't know what the black jurors in this case said. I mean, we saw what they did at Amber Geiger's case, so it's no claim, we can't claim that just because there were black jurors there, they felt differently. But we can say that I think sure people can. have a denial, and I, and I think using this language of a bad apple or this was right. a bad misstep, is it leads us to make these false assumptions that this stuff is not more usual than we all know it is. Before I go to Kelly, I want to go to, I want to pull up the video of Frank Lucero's attorney. Here's what he had to say. Uh, we were hoping for a not guilty verdict on those. I still believe that that would have been the correct verdict, but obviously this jury worked very hard over eight days deliberating. Uh, certainly, I think even in and of itself, if you can talk about something for eight days, that's inherently indicative of reasonable doubt, but I respect their, their process and I know they worked hard, so we're, we're glad. Uh, that we got a mistrial on those two most serious counts. As to, you know, the conviction on the least serious of the three counts, uh, I still have a difficult time reconciling that with the disposition of the other two counts. But again, I have to respect the jury's verdict at this point. We'll assess our options going forward on that. But I'm, I'm very glad today that at least for now, this, this weight has been lifted from Frank Nussera's shoulders. He's held his head high throughout this process. He's handled it with grace and dignity. And I'm glad the jury, uh, at least some of the people on the jury certainly saw it our way. And I think it was a good number of people. Kelly, your thoughts? Um, his note about uh, the 45 hours of deliberation equating to reasonable doubt to me is troubling because mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case at all. If anything, I think it was the juries possibly having a reckoning within themselves as to what the uh, contents of this case uh, entailed. You have to really face yourself in situations like this as a juror and kind of sort of put yourself in that police officer's shoes. Like, what would you do? What would you have done? Um, what would a reasonable person have done in this situation? And I think the reason why it was a hung jury is because a lot of those jurors who, you know, did not... Uh, uh, <laughs> 
find him, you know, liable for this, they probably thought that they would have done the same thing. And that's what scares people is not the fact that they think that they're bad apples or anything. They think that they are the bad apple and they don't want to punish somebody for something that they would have done themselves. And once people have that moment within themselves, then we can have a larger discussion as to what to do. But like my colleagues were saying, it's it's not a bad apple situation. It's not a uh, a predicament where there's a lone wolf. Uh, I know that narrative is thrown out there a lot. No, this is an inherently American problem, and we had Americans on that jury. And as Americans, they probably were like, I would have done the same thing, but I know he was wrong. I don't know what to do here. They probably felt that conflict within themselves. Got it. All right, folks, let's go to our next story. Last night, Donald Trump held one of his hate rallies, uh, held one of his hate rallies in Minneapolis, where he attacked uh, Somali refugees uh, as well as uh, attacked Joe Biden. It was a typical Donald Trump rally. Something happened at the end of that rally. They played Prince's Purple Rain. Of course, Prince uh, was born and raised in Minneapolis, and that did not sit well with the estate of Prince. Uh, they sent a statement out making it perfectly clear. They do not want Donald Trump playing any of his music. They also did the same thing a year ago, and the campaign agreed they would not use his music. Uh, this is what the Trump, uh, this is what the uh, Prince folks uh, tweeted out. They said that, uh, of course, uh, first of all, said uh, the Trump campaign sent a letter to the estate last year saying, quote, Without admitting liability and to avoid any future dispute, we confirm that the campaign will not use Prince's music in connection with his its activities uh, going forward. But again, the statement though uh, that uh, from the from the estate, Prince President Trump played Prince's Purple Rain tonight at a campaign event in Minneapolis, despite confirming a year ago that the campaign would not use it. Uh, they made it. They sent that letter to them and said, "Don't do it again." Uh, bottom line is, uh, look. Uh, 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 look, look, Kelly, uh, Prince uh, did not like Donald Trump, did not agree with Donald Trump, and uh, this estate is making it perfectly clear, like other uh, uh, artists have done, they want no part of their music being played at any Donald Trump event. I don't understand why Donald Trump just doesn't leave well enough alone. <laughs> it's obvious that uh, when Prince was alive, he made it, like you said, perfectly clear that he was not a <laughs> Trump supporter, didn't have anything to do with the Republican Party in general, even though he was, you know, relatively apolitical as um, in regards to pretty much everything else outside of his music. But, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong, according to what Prince uh, Prince's uh, mentality was with this. And he did not want Donald Trump anywhere near his music. I don't understand why he felt the need to play such music at the rally, because... He, I believe he's not supposed to anyway. Like, there's an injunction or something against Trump from playing the music. He, he, just does, he just doesn't follow the rules at all. He doesn't feel like the rules apply to him. Oh, and shocking. Yeah, exactly. you know, so I'm not surprised mm -hmm. at all, but it is also incredibly insulting that one of this man's last wishes upon death is, like, don't mess with my stuff. Well... And, that's what he did. And I think right, also look, the, I mean, that look, he picked look, that look, song. Look, look, Dr. Carter. Uh, uh, no, I was just saying yeah, that look, he picked that song. Other artists, I mean, Prince are the only Well, first of all, he could have <laughs> picked any Prince song. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and they would have liked it. But again, so many artists mm -hmm. have said, look, don't play my stuff at your rally. Uh, Bruce Springsteen said the mm -hmm. same thing uh, as well. I mean, look, artists want no part of Thug in Chief. 
Absolutely, and, and it is their right. And I think when you talk about something like music, which has the power to transcend, and that's why I say this, the, cho the choice of Purple Rain, which is a very personal song, but also has this deeply sort of uh, spiritual message in it, that he would pick this and try to attach himself to Prince's or Bruce Springsteen's <laughs> or any of these other artists' legacies who clearly Blatant are... Blatant Democrats. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Not only just Democrats, but people who don't like him, don't like his policies, and would have never supported his policies. And the fact that he says, you know what, I'm going to co-opt you for this message of hatred, for this message of division, um, I think says something about Donald Trump. This is the way he practices business. This is the way he lives his life. This is the way he right. governs, right? He just takes and plunders and worries about the consequences later. And I think it's important for artists and other people to say, stay away from my legacy, stay away from my material, because you best believe if they were co-opting his likeness and his image, he would be all over it. I mean, we saw what happened with Kathy Griffin and others, right? So um, I think artists need to be just as as zealous right. in their in their removal of their image and their likeness and their music and their property from him as he has been with his own. I think it's funny. Cleo, one of the things that I'll... <laughs> you know, hold on, Cleo, one second. I do want to ask you about this here because here he is in Minneapolis last night. There are 100,000 Somalis in mm -hmm. Minneapolis. He attacks, uh, he attacks them saying he was mad at Minneapolis for the election of Ilhan Omar. She was elected by a huge number. Uh, and then to make it clear that he is going to prevent more Somali refugees and others coming to the country, proud of having the lowest number of refugees in the United States in a number of years. This is a man who is speaking, and I keep telling people, he is speaking directly to white America and white fear when it comes to this whole issue of immigrants, and that's who he is targeting. And when he made those comments last night, you heard the roar of that crowd because they blame uh, refugees, they blame uh, immigrants, they blame so many others for their own issues. Well, not only do they blame them, um, they're interested in white control and no interruption to that. And they want people who are immigrant, not necessarily white immigrants, to stay away because they don't want anybody messing with the white pool of control in this country. So that's the bottom line. Uh, I think that with the money that Trump supposedly have, he might have somebody write purple or orange rain or <laughs> or white rain, you know, so he can have his own song, you know, because he got the money to, to do that. But but Trump is just consistent. I and mean, we've been talking about Trump now since he's got in office and he's doing his job. And I think it's important to mention, and you kind of reference that, that he's not by himself. He has crowds that show up when he speaks, including places like Minneapolis. So he, you know, and he's, and he's also someone who doesn't care about the rules. I mean, you, I think you mentioned this is the second time they used that song or use pr Prince's material. Well, hopefully he'll listen this time. Who knows? But somebody huh. to write Orange Rain for him and mm -hmm. let him have his own song. All right, folks, got to go to a break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk about housing among African-Americans at its lowest point in 50 years. That's next. Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the Potter's House in Denver. We'll be back in a moment. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, you've heard me talk a lot about MarijuanaStock.org. Why? Because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. 
We've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at more than $340 billion. We know that marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We also know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the United States and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, uh, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the United States, thus creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. What do they need? Land to grow all of the plants. I'm here in Colorado. It's been legal here, and trust me, it has been a booming business. This, of course, is uh, the, the plan of our folks at 420 Real Estate. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. The folks at 420 Real Estate have done a special for the Roland Martin Unfiltered family. Originally, the minimum investment level was 500 bucks. But you can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as $200. That's right, 200 bucks up to $10,000. And again, let's recap. This is a $340 billion global industry that is still growing. And you can participate with as little as $200. To invest, for more information, go to marijuanastock.org. That's marijuanastock.org. Get in the game and get in the game now. Folks, one of the ways for Americans to actually build wealth in this country is through home ownership. And the black home ownership rate stands today, folks, at 40.6%. That is the lowest number in more than 50 years. In comparison, the home ownership rate for non-Hispanic whites reported by the U.S. Census Bureau is 73.1%. That represents more than a 30 percentage point difference and reflects the economic mountain African-Americans have have to climb to gain parity in achieving the American dream. We're joined now by the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, newly elected president, Donnell Williams, to discuss this, this, this disparity. And Donnell, glad to have you on the show. First and foremost, uh, let's just be real. The housing crisis that took place since 2007 caused black folks to lose 53% of, of all black wealth. And when you look at what took place forcing African-Americans into subprime loans, uh, the foreclosures, of course, and, and uh, folks having to have, go from owning to renting, that is the biggest contributor in terms of why we are where we are today. And the reality is, and look, I don't care what anybody says out there, I was critical when it actually happened. The Obama administration did not do enough to deal with this issue of the home ownership crisis. I was covering it every step of the way. In fact, I've covered housing my entire career, going back to when I was in Austin at the, at the Austin American Statesman in Fort Worth as a city hall reporter at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and other places as well. And now you have the Trump administration and same thing, having no real substantive plan to deal with the housing crisis in this country, especially as it relates to African-Americans. I, I agree with you, Roland. Uh, I remember uh, back in 2012 when I m first met you, and we had this discussion then. But you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, I declared a cease and desist on the declining rates of black home ownership. Right now, we're at 40.6%, which is unheard of. It is hurting our generational wealth. It's hurting um, our economic growth. It, we're in trouble. And that's why I declared a war on the declining rates of black home ownership. Um, we need to pull out all stops. We need to create allies. We need to create partnerships. We need to address this issue immediately. There is no time to, to wait on the sidelines. Everybody's got to be in this fight for black home ownership.
And and so so what can be done? What should be done? What should Fannie Mae and Freddie Mae? What should they be doing? Well, we're at um, <clears throat> a point right now with the association, which is the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, where we have come up with solutions to actually help the uh, the declining rate. Right now, there are 1.7 million black millennials, low-hanging fruit, that make over $100,000 a year that do not own a home. We're looking at uh, educating them, giving them the tools, the resources, helping them to uh, empower themselves and mobilize so that we have a new growth, a new growth spurt of homeowners uh, coming up. We started a campaign under our 2 million and 5 new black homeowners in five years campaign called HouseThenTheCar.com. HouseThenTheCar.com. That's where we're pushing our people. We're trying to get them ready, get them to understand DTI, get them to understand creating a budget, get them to understand credit, down payment assistance, and what have you, so that maybe we, we begin that, that, that turn. Because you're in violation if you have a landlord and a Land Rover. All right, I know our panel has some questions for you. Uh, who's first okay. up? Uh, I'll go. I, I think this is a really interesting issue. As a homeowner who became a homeowner late in my life, right, in my in my 30s, um, I found the process really overwhelming. But one of the things I've been thinking about now that I'm no longer a first-time buyer, what exists for that buyer in the middle who's not a first-time buyer, who maybe is a move-up buyer, right, whose family is expanding or whose needs have changed? How do you help those folks uh, retain ownership of what they may currently have and then also purchase something else that may suit their life at that point in their life? Well, we have an entire series to help people in that category because, interesting enough, the average age of a black homeowner is 48 years old. Home wow. purchasers, 48 years old. We, we all on this panel understand that that's a little mm -hmm. too late. We need to start earlier. But we have a series of classes to educate people on how they bequeath, how they transfer that wealth once they own it. We don't want to lose the wealth because the a average age of uh, folks born before 1965, half of the black people owned their home before they were 50 years old. Mm -hmm. Now that number has totally reversed. Now we don't own mm -hmm. our homes. So we're trying to show that entire generation, the baby boomers, if you call them, the baby boomers, how to transfer that wealth mm -hmm. and how to do it smartly. Mm -hmm. The people that I talk to in the community often don't know what the specific benefits are of home ownership because if, if they have an apartment or they have a place to live and they got the Range Rover, they figure they're hooked up. I think it might be a good idea to specifically break down what the benefits are of home ownership. And I also want to know specifically what you meant because I think other people want to know the same thing is what does it mean that we're in trouble? So that's two questions. What are the, what are the elements of that in troubleness and what are the benefits of home ownership? Okay. Uh, benefits of home ownership. Um, generational wealth security, financial security. Owning a home is the keystone of financial wealth. That's the, that's the first step for most of America. They came up with the American dream. This is the, the American dream is owning a home. They've been giving away land since, since the beginning, since we got here. So what I'm saying is that the, mm -hmm. the, the keystone is, is owning that property. So owning that property then creates the opportunity to to build, um, uh, to get a job, get a, a business loan, to actually put your kids to college. All of those things, generational wealth, um, all those things fall into owning that first home, creating that equity. 
trouble. So, so, allow, so allow me to also jump in here. I, uh, one second, one second. Allow me to jump in here uh, because I think it, uh, to, to also provide some context to that answer to, to the question Cleo just asked. When you talk about uh, what is the benefits in 2014 when the Wall Street Journal did their article on uh, the fact that $23.09 billion in small business loans were handed out in 2013. Black folks only got $385 million of those loans. One of the primary reasons was because of the loss of home ownership. For African Americans, when it comes to if you're starting a business and you're looking to go get capital, you're looking to get a loan, right. your, big, your most important collateral is likely going to be your home, the equity in your home. If you are renting, you don't have any equity. Here's the second thing. Uh, when you talk about uh, security, uh, when my parents retired more than 10 years ago, they were living in an apartment in Houston, uh, and they were looking at fixed income, and they said, we're going to get a smaller apartment. I'm going, it's going to be smaller than this. Well, I still own my home in the Dallas area. I said, my house paid for. Y'all can live there. They, so they were able to move. So here, so I have, a, I, have a, I have parents and a sister and her daughter both living in a home that's paid for. Now, that actually wow. assists them in terms of the ability to be able to live and not actually have to spend uh, that amount of money. Third thing, which is also critically important, when you talk about uh, home ownership, I bought that home in 1999, uh, and it was around $122,000. The last, we, of course, we had the housing crisis where it dropped. Now that house is that house is appraised at around $190,000. I've been having folks sending me text messages and calling me for the past six months trying sure. to actually buy the home. Why? Because because the housing stock in the country uh, you don't have uh, as much as you did before. And so here it is. I could, if I wanted to, could sell that home right now for $190,000 or $200,000 uh, and then be able to invest that money. And so if you're renting, you can't do that. You're just shelling out money to somebody else. And so I think, and so for the people who are out there, uh, that's what you're talking about. And in fact, the other problem is when you talk about renting, because of the housing, the lack of housing in this country, one of the things that happened, Danelle, you can, and, and you know this, what happened was when those banks, when the so-called toxic assets, that actually, that was, those were those home loans. And what they did was they got the federal government to give them that bill, that $12 billion bailout. They took that money and didn't focus on toxic loans. They basically uh, built up their bottom lines. Right. Then they went, wait a minute, uh -huh. we're in good shape. We're not going to get rid of those homes. So what do they do? They then turned around, sold those homes, blocks of 25 and 30,000 homes to hedge funds in Arizona, uh, California, in Texas. And now, if you, Dr. Carter made her point, if you want to buy a home, you looking to go buy a home, you can't compete against the hedge fund. So they're forcing people to be renters and people are actually spending more money right now in many places renting an apartment or renting a home than what the mortgage would actually cost them. And that, Donnell, is the problem that we're seeing in terms of why this is a huge issue. And so shelling out money renting doesn't get you anything when you're 25 and 30 and 35 and 40. And so guess what? When you get to be 50 like I am, you're not going to have any asset whatsoever. And then if I choose to retire, let's, let's say in 20 years from now, go back to that same home, all I got to do is pay my property taxes. That's it. Not a mortgage. Correct. The funny thing about it is they want to push us towards renting, but the, the, the rental price 
is going up just as much as the home ownership, the mortgage amount that you would pay. Mm -hmm. So we're in betwixt and between, but we have to get into the mindset. At the Congressional Black Caucus, we did a national, I did it, put on a national conversation on black home ownership. That needs to be done in every local, uh, every local city that we have, that we have a chapter in. The national conversation on black home ownership, it's time for us to change the conversation and we have to get people on board with this because the security comes. I have a saying, the, the one who owns the land makes the laws. So we have to change that. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, Kelly, you have a question? I do. Um, I definitely understand the predicament that we're in in terms of home ownership, but as someone who would be a first-time home buyer, a large problem is the gentrification and the influx of prices, especially in the DMV area. So how do you reconcile that mm. with, like, for instance, in my situation, you know, I'm a recent grad, loads of debt, you know, trying to stay afloat. I have... I'm living in D.C. The housing market here is absolutely crazy in terms of prices. So what do you do or how do you reconcile the predicament of gentrification, the influx of prices, um, and the lack of affordable housing with the fact that we need to own homes? Well, I'll tell you, we have to... You're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to use the tools that are out there. There are tools out there now. Uh, HUD tried to stop some of them with down payment assistance. We are proponents. We, 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 we believe in the down payment assistance. Uh, if you're patient enough, then something may come up if you're working with a real TIST mm -hmm. and they can help you find. And real TIST is a member of my organization, the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, held to a high standard of ethics. So that would, uh, that may help you with gentrification, that may help you find a, a place where you want to be in the, in the town, in the area, in the zip codes you want to be at, closer to jobs, closer to schools, closer to hospitals and doctors and medical and things like that. But um, it's gonna, it could be a hard fit. I'm finding that we're having a hard fit. People can't live in the same area they grew up in anymore. Yeah. So I mean, you have to be patient. You have to save, you have to, and when it. it's time to strike, you got to move. Roland, I have a suggestion that I also have. All right, folks, I, uh, real quickly, uh, real quick. You can also consider, you gotta, this takes patience, buying property outside of the area, in a, in a nice area outside the area that costs lower, just to establish own, home ownership and, and, uh, and establish that loan, if you will, or however you're going to secure it, so you can have that in your portfolio. And then you build an equity and, you're, and you also can buy a property. I only buy properties that somebody's going to rent if I move out because it's in a nice area that they're going to like. Mm -hmm. So buy a property that you know is going to be temporary for you, but that's in a rentable area that's outside of D.C. that's, that's more cost-effective, mm -hmm. and plan to use that property, particularly when you get, when you get the equity and the, and the kind of situation financials you want to be in, to get a property later in, in Washington, D.C. Sure. But at least you own property now. Got it. And you got that Danielle, process 30 seconds. Danielle, 30 seconds. Go. We need you to get on board with HousedInTheCar.com. It's a campaign. It's a movement. We have MOUs with everyone from fraternities, sororities, faith-based institutions. The civic engagement piece with the National Association of Real Estate Brokers is going to be huge. We need you to identify with it. We need you to get on board. And black home ownership matters. All right, Danelle Williams, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much. Thank you. All right, folks, going to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, we'll talk to a uh, bishop of Baltimore. Bishop T.D. Jakes is going to be at his church this weekend on how 
Baltimore can be restored. Also, we're going to talk about a coach in New Orleans fired for encouraging his team to use the N-word. All of that next, Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the Potter's House in Denver. We'll be back in a moment. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Folks, that's my frat brother, Gerald Albright, on the saxophone there. He is going to be one of the many folks at the second annual Life Lux Jazz Experience taking place in Cabo, November 7th through the 11th. I'll be broadcasting Roller Martin Unfiltered that Thursday and Friday, the 7th and the 8th there. But it's unbelievable. Three days of crazy concerts, folks. Uh, you have the opportunity if you can't go. First of all, if you want to go, you can get a package. Go to LifeLuxJazz.com. L-I-F-E-L-U-X-E-J-A-Z-Z.com. But if you can't go, you can still be there by virtue of the live stream. That's right. Get a live streaming pass for $10.99. You get to stream all three days of concerts uh, from these amazing artists. As I said, uh, Gerald Albright also will be there. Alex Bunyong, Raul Madan, Incognito, Pieces of a Dream, Kirk Whalem, Average White Band, Donnie McClurkin, Shalea, Roy Ayers, Tom Brown, Ronnie Laws, and Ernest Quarles. All you got to do is go to G. FNTV.com. That's GFNTV.com to get your live streaming pass. We want you to do that, folks. It is going to be fantastic. It's going to be a great three days. And so I'm certainly looking forward to it. And I want you to be there either in person or via the live stream on GFNTV.com. All right, folks, this weekend, a conference is being held in Baltimore that will feature uh, guest speaker Bishop T.D. Jakes. The goal, to address issues in the restoration in the Baltimore community and change the narrative about how bad things are there. It has been presented by Be More Now, and the founder of Be More Now is Bishop James D. Nelson of Destiny Christian Church, and he joins us right now. Uh, Bishop, glad to have you here. Uh, he, he, here's what is, what, is, uh, what is interesting to me. I was just in Baltimore uh, on uh, Saturday, I spoke at the uh, the Civil Rights uh, Gala there, and I talked about, um, of course, the issue of uh, affirmative action, talked about uh, utilizing our dollars, talked about, again, how we also must address HBCUs there. And so what do you say to the people who say, wait a minute, this is a black city. You have black mayor, black city council, school district as well, but when you look at the schools in Baltimore, when you look at the housing condition in Baltimore, uh, you, don't, uh, you don't see progress. That's what critics say. And so explain to people who will say, well, you know, black folks, y'all running this. You can't run this city. Really what is going on here when it comes to the economic calamity that exists in Baltimore that keeps it from being able to help those most in need? First of all, I'm glad to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, to those people that would uh, bring up those issues, 
first of all, there are a couple of dynamics that are at play. Uh, number one, uh, the economics of Baltimore are much lower than even the average in the United States. Uh, if you deal with the average household uh, income, it's only about 46,000 in comparison to about 57,000 in the United States. The whole family medium income is about 13,000, 14,000 less than it is in the United States. There's a great deal of economic disparity. Uh, the unemployment rate is quite high, even though uh, it has gone um, down about 6%, and it is causing major challenges in the city of Baltimore. And so even with our school systems and the challenges that we're having, all of these factors are, are playing a role in what is happening in, in our city. And so we're trying to come up with something that helps to turn that around. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of the partners of Be More Now just had a major event a couple of weeks ago uh, targeting what's happening in our school system, the lack of male presence in our school system. And so it takes time to turn issues around, and that's what we're after to make a difference in turning that situation around. But, but, but Bishop, so, so where do you start? Uh, because uh, what you don't, I mean, obviously you want folks who, who go to school, who get educated, you want them to be there, you want them to be able to live there as well. Uh, but you have sort of this perception. The moment you say Baltimore, oh, it's sort of like it used to be the same thing. With, you mentioned Detroit, you mentioned certain cities. And so you're dealing with that as well. Absolutely. Well, it starts with one of the things that we're doing even on tomorrow. This event is, is not just about hype. It really is about empowering our people and to help to create another narrative for the city of Baltimore. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're starting with employment. Um, we have a, a job fair tomorrow with employers like Leg Mason, Chase Bank, Amazon, uh, Social Security Administration, the Horseshoe Casino, um, the, the Baltimore City Community College. Um, we have voter registration. We also have expungement um, because in the city of Baltimore, one of the challenges that have been is the rate of recidivism has been very high. Um, it is suggested that within three years, about 70% of those that come out of, of prison will eventually uh, be repeat offenders. So we're trying to uh, counteract that by number one, bringing hope, showing a different narrative. Many times for the city of Baltimore, uh, they only have one narrative that is seen, that is suggested, and then it doesn't help uh, when the president makes comments that our city is rat infested, it's a mess, and no humans will live there. And so we're endeavoring um, through a collaborative effort of spiritual and social to bring a different picture, a different narrative to the city of Baltimore to let them know that Baltimore is more than what people have predicted or, or, or suggested that it is. Uh, Kelly, your question. Um, so what is your, I, I understand what the objective is per what I've read and what you just said, but going forward, how do you uh, plan on keeping that conversation alive and honestly <laughs> changing the narrative of Baltimore? So we have, have a couple of things that we're, we're doing. Uh, number one, after this event, this event uh, is not designed to just be 
a, a moment, but really the birthing of a movement. So we have churches that are coming together as well as other entities in the city of Baltimore partnering to ensure that we continue with what we're doing. Uh, so we're doing things uh, like in November for Thanksgiving. That's one of our next major initiatives where we are again offering jobs and health care and then financial education um, through the partnerships that we are, are bringing. Uh, we're catering to specific areas uh, like the youth of the city. And, and then the seniors of the city of Baltimore. So we, we're planning to continue it in those ways and then also politically, because we really understand that we need people to get out and vote because every vote counts to put the right people in place to ensure that uh, we get the changes that we need. So those are some of the things that we're doing to continue. Um, I have a question, Bishop Nelson. I first want to yeah. So thank you uh, for all the work you guys are doing in Baltimore. And it sounds like a Herculean task because you are tending, trying to tend to the whole person. So how can this community support you, even for those who may not be in Baltimore proper but want to be able to assist? Um, how can folks support your efforts? Okay, a couple of ways. Number one, um, partnership, because the whole concept of Be More Now is synergy or collaboration. Uh, between uh, social and spiritual. So those are uh, individuals that are um, individuals uh, that have uh, either employment opportunities, health care, or other entities. Even um, I just spoke with uh, Donnell just uh, got off about the housing. Mm -hmm. um, so partnerships like that. And then secondarily is um, financially, because as we are undertaking all of this, it's going to take finances to continue to do what we're doing. Uh, like I said, for the next event that we're doing, uh, we want to give hot food to people as well as food to take home and, and um, health care. Um, so, and then businesses that believe in what we're doing that don't mind offering even opportunities for employment uh, to give people even second chances. Bishop, I... Um, Cleo? Yes. I'm based in Baltimore. Okay. I have an office in the uh, Charles Village area. I run a center called the Amasi Center for Black Wellness and Culture. Okay. And I often um, engage students at, um, and speak at Morgan, Morgan State. Okay. And as you know, I would imagine that Baltimore is a stigmatized city, but not Absolutely. just externally. Yes, sir. It's also stigmatized internally. And there's people there. It's a predominantly black city, almost 70% black. And the list of things that you're going to offer, I think, are all important. But I think there needs to be an addition of looking at mental health and looking at black self-concept. Because one of these symptoms of living in a city and being black that has a stigma where there's been mayoral problems, you know, the mayor's changing, and, and that makes it look really bad for black people and certain people's self-concept who live there, there's some slow self-esteem challenges that everyday people in Baltimore face. A lot of people that come to my office are challenged by learning to love themselves in their own images. Black people in a city that is supposedly black ran that has these problems. So I think um, while you're going to be dealing with jobs and housing, so that won't just be um, a Band-Aid that people can relapse from, you might want to add to your, your pie here, looking at mental distress, resolving mental illness, and self-concept among black people in particular. Uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you for the suggestion. And um, that's one of the things as we go forward that we actually um, are considering. 
Um, number one, as a pastor, that's one of the things that I actually um, am, 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 am advocate of, uh, of that black persona, self-awareness. Um, but as we go forward, that's one of the things that we would definitely include, because as you said, everything um, that you've named from the changes of, of the mayors, even to the corruption with the police and other challenges that we've had, it's affected uh, morale and even self-worth. Right. Because here's the other piece that we have to be honest about. Um, while we can get mad at, at cops killing and this one doing this, the reality of it is the, the murders that are happening in Baltimore is happening because blacks are killing each other. And so we have to wake up and, and start realizing who we are and the power that we have. So as we move forward, those that is definitively one of the things that we will include. Well, I hope to work with you. I would uh, love for to have Bishop, you. Bishop, uh, the conference taking place when? What time? It is taking place beginning tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Um, at 4321 Old York Road at the Church of the Redeemed of the Lord. Uh, tomorrow morning. And it's absolutely free. There is no charge to it. Uh, are you also going to be live streaming the event? Yes, we're going to be live streaming um, from the the Facebook of the Church of the Redeemed of the Lord. It's going to be um, an amazing opportunity. I do want to stress at 10 o'clock we have a financial literacy uh, with Chase Bank, which is one of our partners, and Ivy McGregor is going to be moderating that. And then at 11, Bishop Jakes is going to be preaching. So the whole so the whole day is going to be live streamed. Uh, the, the service is going to be live streamed. Um, the, the Chase conversation will not be live streamed. All right, then. We need to get that live streamed. But you know what? That's, that's what we also need to have live streamed. <laughs> that's so. something we can work on. I can fix that overnight. Which means it might happen. I'm telling you, because here's the piece. I mean, I mean do it, do it. I mean, just so understand, look, I've got 2.4 million social media followers. When you, when you live stream on Facebook, then we're able to take that code and actually send it out and share it with all of those followers. And so if somebody's not in Baltimore, if they're in Baltimore, <laughs> but they're not even there, they still will be able to see the sessions and take advantage of the knowledge. So uh, that'll be great if you can make it happen. And consider it done. All right, Bishop, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Folks, going to a break, we come back. Black coach in Louisiana no longer has a job because he encouraged his team to use the N-word. Mmm, what did my panel have to say about that? Next at Roller Martin Unfiltered. When in doubt, go to the library. That's what Ron Weasley says in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So I did to the world's largest library, in fact, the Library of Congress, with a collection of 168 million items, all kinds of treasures from our nation's past and the labor movement's past. Many of the folks who work there are AFSCME members, including David Fernandez Badial, who's agreed to give me a tour of some of the library's most amazing artifacts. Come along with us for a behind-the-scenes look and prepare to be inspired. Okay, well, show me some of these amazing artifacts, David. Absolutely. So here we have some um, treasures from the Management Division of the Library of Congress. Over on the far right, you have notes from 1787 that Alexander Hamilton drafted in preparation for the Constitutional Convention, and they basically outline his vision of government 
federal government for the United States. So this is Alexander Hamilton's handwriting that That's we have here. Right. That is amazing. Yeah. So tell us about this piece here. Yeah. So this is a letter from 1941 from Thurgood Marshall, um, who was working for the NAACP, um, discussing some of the circumstances of a case um, in Texas that involved voter rights that would lead into a case that became Smith v. Allwright which actually was argued before the Supreme Court in 1943, and Thurgood Marshall was the person arguing it in front of the Supreme Court. In, in many ways, he considered this to be the seminal um, case um, that he was involved in that started the, the, the movement towards civil rights in this country. So this was right around the time that Thurgood Marshall really began the legal defense fund of the NAACP and led it and argued many of these cases before the Supreme Court successfully for many years before he joined the court. So exactly we got right. an example of his mental process and yeah. thinking through this case. Yeah. It's really incredible. Are you ready for the next item? I am. All right. So here we have some seminal treasures from the library's collections um, from the National Child Labor Committee, which was founded to investigate the conditions of children um, across the country who were engaging in labor and being forced to work mm. um, from an early mm -hmm. age. So these were pictures with a purpose to really uh, try to make change Absolutely. and to, to uh, end child labor. So this is a photograph of Addie Card taken in Vermont by Lewis Hine. And it's basically showing the conditions in the textile industries mm -hmm. in Vermont. And this image is, is iconic for a number of reasons, but even if you just look at, you know, the young girl sort of, it's, it's every child, you know? Mm -hmm. you, you've got an image of, of someone who is being forced to do work. And should not be working. In 1959, then-Senator John Kennedy published this book, A Nation of Immigrants, which talked about the contribution of all these different national and ethnic groups to our American society. And included as part of the original publication was this map of the United States, which breaks down each region by the, the dominant ethnic or national group that settled there. And it reminds us that we are a nation of immigrants. Absolutely. And Kennedy, when he was a senator, really understood and helped educate us about that reality. And it's a great visual representation. And one last little piece that we want to show you is this item from 1937. It's the Journal of the State and Local Government Employees, which is the first publication of the AFSCME National Union. National Union. Yeah. And you can see, well, it's, it's the record of proceedings, but it's also the publication of the union, I think. And you can right. see our original logo here. So this is from the very early history yeah. of our union, and it lives here in the Rare Books collection at the Library of Congress. You know, I'm so uh, grateful that you've taken the time to show us all of this, and also that it's AFSCME members who curate and care for all of these artifacts and treasures that you've, you've shown me today. That's right. Um, we represent over 1,400 uh, bargaining unit employees here at the Library of Congress. In fact, we have some of our leadership of the AFSCME locals right next door. Would you like to meet them? I would love to. Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. All right. This is AFSCME at the Library of Congress. All right. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do every day to make this library happen, and thank you for what you do for working folks who work at the Library of Congress.
right, folks. Uh, interesting stuff. First of all, before I go to the next story, let me thank AFSCME for being one of the partners of Roland Martin Unfiltered. Without their support, this show would not be possible. So Lee Saunders and AFSCME, thank you so very much for believing in black-owned media. All right, folks, let's talk about this story here. Nathaniel Jones, Louisiana High School head football coach at St. Augustine High School, folks, an all-male private school with a predominantly black student body, has been fired after video showed him leading players in a locker room chant that included the N-word. Watch this. All right, folks. Uh, first of all, now some of y'all, I can't remember if it's St. Augustine or St. Augustine. Okay, I've been in New Orleans, but I've been to the school before. It is a very well-known school with a rich tradition. The chant appeared to be a team tradition under Jones, according to video uploaded to YouTube from prior games this year. Question, Dr. Carter, should he have been fired? Um, I think it showed a lack of poor judgment. I would never let students of mine speak that way in my presence. I mean, he's not the first, but that's really up to St. Aug. I mean, we saw this happen to Penny Toller with the L.A. Sparks, and she's not teaching juveniles, <laughs> right? She's working with adult women, uh, professional, NBA, uh, professional WNBA players. So, I mean, I think you absolutely have to be mindful of where you are and who you're with. You're dealing with young men, and yeah, I mean, I think an argument could be made that he was just trying to get them amped up for the game. They didn't mean it in a negative way. But did you feel a way about the white players who might be on that team saying the same thing? I don't know. I, I just I just think we always have to be mindful of what we do, particularly when we're working with young people and what we allow in that space. I can say that if it was probably one of my children, I would not have been thrilled to see this video. I'm sorry. I mean, I think you just have to exercise better judgment. Kelly. I agree with Dr. Carter here. I mean, it's one of those things where the word itself has sparked debate as to whether it should be used, shouldn't be used, et cetera. I'm one of the people who does her best not to use it at all. I feel like it should be removed from American lexicon altogether, mainly because the history of the word is too rooted in insidious uh, history um, for it to be even repurposed for something different. Um, Considering that this is a school setting, these are, you know, still children, and you have a, an adult who is, you know, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, a leader, um, surely you have better words in your vocabulary other than something that is already so controversial. And like Dr. Carter was saying, I don't know the uh, specific demographic makeup of this school, but if there's just one white person on that team, how does that person feel about everybody else using the word except him? Or, you know, him using the word and then, you know, record scratch and everybody's just kind of, you know, <laughs> just stop. Like, wait, what did you say even though like 90 other people said it, you know, it, it's just kind of one of those things where it can be hypocritical without intending to be. And considering you're in an educational setting, I would just not say it all together, you know, save that for home if you're going to use it. Yep. Cleo. The N word is a very harmful, destructive word. It's not even a good idea when black people use the word. It has harmful psychic effects and behavioral outcomes. So I understand that the word is problematic where this, where this brother is, and I agree with, it, with, with what happened. I hope others listen and take the same path, because um, even though I'm not sure there's any educational opportunity provided in this context in terms of what's problematic with the word, other than that it's not considered a good word, 
it's really a, a problematic word, and we should not be using, we should not be calling ourselves that word. I'm not concerned about the one white boy who or girl, whatever, that's, in, that's there who might use it. I'm concerned about us using it. Mm -hmm. And this man is a leader, or was a leader, a role model, and um, inadvertently was perpetuating the use of such a disgusting and horrible word, a destructive word. And I think the consequences were, were appropriate. And again, I hope others watch and learn and do the same thing. Um, here's the thing that I need people to understand. This is very simple. If a white coach did the same thing, he would be gone quickly. I keep trying to explain to black folks, look, uh, we have to understand this is a different whole deal. This is not your house. This is not in the privacy of your home. This is not on your own social media page. You're a coach leading a team. I also agree with everything folks say. I don't like the N-word. I don't believe we need to use the N-word. I don't want to hear black people who talk about, no, we're going to drop the E-R, and we're going to put the A on it, and we're going to reclaim it. All BS. Delusion. It's all BS. It is a hate word that should not be used. And again, if I want to sit here uh, and talk to somebody black, I would choose a more affirming word. Brother, how are you? Not the N-word. Uh, I'm going to do that. And so, look, these are the repercussions uh, that exist. Somebody put uh, on YouTube, they said, who snitched? <laughs> Y'all, they posted the videos on YouTube. Okay, so uh, other people can who see snitched? it. But again, this is what happens. Uh, yeah, somebody actually said that, who snitched, when they, when they got uploaded. So bottom line is, you can do a chant. Don't use the N-word. It it's that simple. Well, and I mean, it's that simple. It's not necessary. It, I think it's the same No, it's not necessary. Final word, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I think you're, you're absolutely right, but I think, again, you have to always be mindful that there's a camera everywhere, mm -hmm. and you're also talking about young men who are going into a football game, which is already adversarial enough. And so that word, to me, was used purposely, right? To not see your opponent as other people, mm -hmm. but to see something to be mowed down, knocked down, and have their stuff loose. Exactly. Right? So, I mean, I think it was used intentionally. It was poor form, right. and I think um, we see the results of, of this behavior yep. uh, resulting in the consequences that should to any educational professional. And, if, and in fact, it wasn't just the head coach. It was an assistant coach who was leading the chance. So two assistant coaches and the head coach have all lost their jobs uh, as a result of uh, the use of the N-word. And again, this is historically uh, black Catholic school there in New Orleans. And so uh, that is uh, the case there. And again, uh, the St. Saint, uh, Charles issued a statement. Uh, saying they were launching a full investigation, uh, saying they were shocked and embarrassed at such blatantly offensive language we use at any school event. And, of course, uh, the head coach had been there since February 2018 uh, and, of course, uh, no longer at the school. All right, folks, uh, congratulations to Abiyah Ahmed, the prime minister of Ethiopia, of course, for winning the Nobel Peace Prize today. Of course, he was the one uh, who led the negotiations that ended the civil war that took place between Ethiopia and neighboring country Eritrea. This has been going on for a number of years, uh, and now uh, they have peace there uh, as a result of this accord. And so congratulations to the Ethiopian prime minister for this year's Nobel Peace Prize. Let me thank Cleo uh, Kelly as well as Dr. Deon Carter for joining us. Uh, Doc, y'all got a big weekend. Isn't this, this Howard homecoming? You it's know Bowie's it. It's homecoming. It, it, listen, it's nobody cares homecoming. about any of these places. It's, it's the real issues homecoming. <laughs>
coming this weekend. <laughs> it's eight you all day uh, from no. Tuesday to Sunday. Okay, you can me, find excuse me, to do. excuse me, excuse me, excuse <laughs> me, excuse me. I asked Dr. Carter a question. <laughs> I asked all that other nonsense coming in. So, Dr. Carter, is not this not Howard homecoming? It absolutely is, and it couldn't be a more beautiful weekend. We are celebrating, what, another 162 years to come. So I wish everybody a, a happy Howard homecoming, even those people who didn't so go Kelly, there. So, Kelly, why the hate? <laughs> no hate. It's just Bowie State's homecoming, and I care about my alma mater more. Simple as that. It's everybody's home. It, it's, okay, well, and they okay, care about well, first of all, okay, Ke too. Kelly, 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 it, Kelly, it's okay to do two shout-outs. <laughs> Is it? I mean, you, you, you ain't got to be hating like that. Eh. You called Kelly first, though. Really? You called her first. Woosa. Kelly, Woosa. That show Kelly, Woosa, release all that hate. <laughs> There's no hate. I, like, my release, dad went there. Release you know, all cool. of that hate. It's fine. It's how. Release all of that hate. And, but look, just so you understand, we don't, look, we don't have homecoming at Texas A&M. Our homecoming is every football game. Uh, and yeah, so that's, that's how we that's look true. at it. So we got that's a big game true. tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> That's how we. That's how we do it. So we play. We play Alabama tomorrow. So oh, I'm looking to see game. Ty get rolled. That's All right, folks. Uh, we want you to support. Of course, Roller Martin Unfiltered. Uh, we have. Uh, we're always doing great things. I'm here in Denver, the Potter's House in Denver, for uh, a town hall here for my school choice is the Black Choice Town Hall. Y'all know where I stand. It's real simple. I want every black kid to get educated. I don't care how they get educated. Traditional school, charter school, magnet school, online school, home school. It is. <laughs> Technical school doesn't matter as long as our kids get educated. And so you got some folks here in Denver uh, who say, no, we don't like charter schools. Forget that. I am not going to defend a failing school. I ain't defending a failing traditional school. I'm not defending a failing charter school. I want black kids to get educated. And so if you're in Denver, come to the Powers House Denver, 6 p.m. in 51 minutes uh, for uh, our town hall that will be taking place here. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. We'll be live streaming it right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered uh, as well. All right, folks, be sure to support what we do uh, by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com, joining our Bring the Fuck fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support uh, this show. Things that we do. Last night, being at Reverend Joseph Lowry's 98th birthday. If you missed it, go to our YouTube channel. You can actually check that out. Uh, and also, let me thank, um, let me give here, thank right here, uh, Angie B. She gave 100 bucks to our fan club right there on YouTube. If you're watching YouTube, you can actually give right there on YouTube. You can go to our website as well. Uh, and so we, we certainly want to thank her. Guys, great thing happening on Monday. Y'all don't want to miss the show. And guess who's going to be here? The judge, Tammy Kemp. Oh, the judge in the Amber Geiger case is going to be right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Looking forward to that conversation. <laughs> I will have her on the Tom Jonah Morning Show that morning, 7.15 a.m. Eastern. We will have a much longer conversation right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Her husband watches this show religiously. I appreciate uh, the judge's husband watching this show. and look forward to talking to her right here on Monday. Y'all have been asking questions? Well, I'm going to be asking those questions Monday. Roller Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks. Oh, Charlotte, I'll see you guys actually tomorrow. Uh, I'm at a blogger conference uh, here in, D in D.C. Uh, so looking forward to being there. Uh, let's see here. Hold on one second. Let me get the name real quick. Okay, I don't want to mess it up. Uh, so, again, a blogger conference taking place tomorrow. 
uh, in Washington, D.C. And so looking forward uh, to that conference. Uh, I'll be speaking at 4 p.m. at the Blogger Week Unconference taking place at Trinity Washington University. So again, I'll be there from 4 to 5 speaking. And I'm looking forward uh, on Monday, folks. I'm going to be flying uh, in and out. So Monday, I'm going to be giving the keynote speech at noon on Monday on uh, education choice at the National Black Caucus of State Legislators. And so I'll be speaking there on Monday, flying back to do Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, I got to go. Got to get ready for our town hall. Have an absolutely great weekend. I'll see y'all on Monday. Holla! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment with a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.